beautiful song recorded by none other than Barbara Streisand in the last couple of months. Yes. She recorded this song, I think it's called You Lie to Me. Yeah, I've listened to Have it a few times. That? Yes. Wow. The actual title is Don't Lie to Me, aimed in part at least at uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. Bill Maher had her on and it was discussed. And that song is really in a lineage of all of these artists protesting right back to Billie Holiday. Oh, You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 71, Transcendent Tunes, Searing and Soulful, Strange Fruit. Was that moving or what? That was a beautiful, beautiful trumpet Incredible solo. Incredible Oh, piece. my God. That trumpet solo that we've just heard was by the elusive Frankie Newton, who was the band leader for the Cafe Society. It's poetic. Mm-hmm. Speaking of poetic, I'm going to share a poem with you. Sure. Tell me what you think about this one. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south. The bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolias sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here is fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain to gather, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot, for the trees to drop. Here is a strange and bitter crop. Those are the lyrics to Strange Fruit. You found me out there, buddy. I found you out. Yeah. And oddly enough, that's how the song began as a poem that was written in 1937 by whom? By a Jewish teacher <laughs> from the Bronx, believe it or not, named Abel Mirapol. Mm-hmm. Who'd have thunk that, huh? Mm-hmm. Turns out he saw a photograph of a lynching in the south of the U.S. Yep. A pair of teens were lynched there. He saw that photograph and it disturbed him to his core. And so he wrote this poem that he first named Bitter Fruit. Have you seen the photograph? I have. It is disturbing. It's very disturbing. Mm -hmm. It was submitted to a teacher's union magazine uh, or newsletter, and it was printed there. And then being something of an amateur musician, Mm -hmm. he wanted to put music to it and did that. And he, along with his wife and another singer, apparently sang it in different locations before Billie Holiday got her mitts on it. That's uh, right. Including Madison Square Garden, of all places. Mm -hmm. And, of course, then it made its way to Lady Day herself, Billie Holiday. And it was actually performed. You were saying his wife, the singer, her name was Laura Duncan. Yes, that's right. And she performed it as a protest song Mm -hmm. in venues in New York City in the late 30s, as you said, including Madison Square Garden. And also Cafe Society was uh, an integrated club 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in those days, there weren't too many integrated anythings right. in the U.S. And that's where Billie Holiday first sang that song as well. Mm-hmm. Very, very special tune. That's why we were calling it a transcendent tune. Because in 1999, Strange Fruit was named by Time magazine as the Song, song of, of the, the century. century. Yeah, that's how powerful it was and how influential, in a way, it was. And it has been covered by numerous artists, including uh, Nina Simone, UB40, Jeff Buckley, Dee Dee Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. And it's inspired novels, poems, and other creative works. And in 1978, it received the Grammy Award. Uh-huh. Especially Nina Simone. I love her rendition Me too. of it. Absolutely beautiful. What do we say about this song? It was one of the early, if not the first, protest song of its time. And Billie Holiday ran into a lot of flack for wanting to sing that song. She sang it at every performance pretty well. Some people credit it with being the beginning of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. It had so much opposition that at the time when she wanted to record it, she ended up recording it in 1939 in April. Mm -hmm. But her label, Columbia, backed off and said, we don't want to get anywhere close to this. So did the first person or friend that she approached. It took Mm -hmm. a second effort on a friendly basis to get it going. The label that took her on was Commodore. Right. uh, And that's the label she recorded under for that particular song. And she needed a one-time opting out of her contract in order to do that song. That's right. The Columbia granted her to do that. And it sold a million records, 78s. Sold a million. Ended up selling a million over time, which became her biggest record of all time. Right. The song itself was in the Recording Industry of America's Hall of Fame as one of the top 100 songs of the century. Mm -hmm. It's in the National Endowment for the Arts in the U.S. as well, like a treasure. It's considered a national treasure. And I think people have to also consider 1939, she had tremendous courage. Yes. take this song on and sing it publicly. You mentioned the uh, Cafe Society in 1939. Mm-hmm. She herself said that singing it made her fearful of retaliation. But because its imagery reminded her of her father, mm. she continued to sing the piece, making it a regular part of her live performances. This is before she actually recorded the song. Right. And interestingly enough, the fellow who ran Cafe Society, I think his name was Josephson, he laid down three rules for when she sang that song during her performance. Mm. Number one, the lights would go off and a spotlight would go on her alone. Right. Number two, the waiters were instructed to stop waiting tables no matter what. When that song is sung, you stop waiting tables. And thirdly, that it would be the end of the performance with no encores after that song. It was definitely making a statement. It was so powerful Mm -hmm. that they wanted to lay the context and to get everybody to stop their normal and to listen up. It also points to the significance of it. Both black and white Mm -hmm. attending the performance were cognizant of that. Oh, sure. Absolutely. We're going to segue into VoxBox. We're going to head it with a singer by the name of Renee Marie. Yeah, and she combines the tune Dixie with Strange Fruit. You should all check this recording out. It's fantastic. It's on YouTube. And the trumpet solo in it is exquisite Mm. as well. Mm -hmm. So check this out. Box, box. So what's your story? Seven trees. Bear 
blood at the root. An artist's duty, as far as I'm concerned, is to reflect the times. I think that is true of, of, of painters, sculptors, poets, musicians. I, it's for some concern, it's their choice. But I choose to reflect the times and the situations in which I find myself. That to me is my duty. I, and, and at this crucial time in our lives, when everything is so desperate, when every day is a matter of survival, I don't think you can help but be involved. Young people, black and white, know this. That's why they're so involved in politics. We will shape and mold this country or it will not be molded and shaped at all anymore. So I don't think you have a choice. How can you be an artist and not reflect the times? That to me is the definition of an artist. We're in the middle of a revolution because I see the face of things to come. Box, box. Nina Simone is a good example of a fearless black woman singing songs of protest. Yes, which she did throughout her entire career. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole lineage of protest artists, if you mm -hmm. like, including people like Woody Guthrie, mm -hmm. who penned uh, This Land is Your Land in response to God Bless America, realizing the hypocrisy of it. He penned that tune as well. There's one little tidbit I want to add to the actual recording that was made. Yeah. In 1939. Originally, the fellow Gabler was his name, mm -hmm. who was responsible for the production of the recording. Right. He actually engaged or asked the pianist, uh, Sonny White, to improvise an introduction to the song because he felt that the song was maybe too short. Yep. And so the final version on the recording, Holiday starts singing after about 70 seconds. It's a minute and 10 seconds in before she actually mm. starts singing. Right. And that was the early version, I think. She recorded it twice. One in 1939 and one in 1944, but it was the one in 1939 that actually sold a million copies. Oh, is that right? Mm -hmm. The one with the piano mm -hmm. riff mm -hmm. at the top of it. Yeah, yeah. An amazing story in a way when you think about it too. This fellow, Abel Mirapol, he was a communist, as many teachers were in America mm -hmm. in the 30s. Their political viewpoints. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was just looking at the timeline of the 1930s the other day to kind of prepare for this little chat of ours here. It turns out it was 1938 1938 yeah. that the House Un-American Activities right. Committee was created, the same group that really brought in McCarthyism, yeah. right, and mm -hmm. oversaw McCarthyism. They dragged him up for that song and looked into his communism, and they asked him whether he was paid by the American Communist Party to write that song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So disturbing was it to them and to their psyches, if you like. Mm -hmm. uh, so very interesting, the context of the times when that happened, 1930s. And remember, too, that uh, we're talking, as you say, 1930s, the statistics for that time frame or that period. Mm -hmm. In 1937, I think there were some stats that came out that at the turn of the century and leading up to that particular time frame, yeah. there was nearly 2,000 recorded lynchings in the southern U.S., of which three quarters were black people yeah, or colored people. The era was called the Jim Crow era. That's right. And Jim Crow was a derogatory term for Negroes mm -hmm. at the time. And it was a time of Jim Crow legislation, Jim Crow statutes, which were these statutes that put into law segregation, essentially, mm -hmm. in the South. And so in the middle of this Jim Crow era, 
of lynchings and deep animosity towards the black population by the whites in the South, that this song emerges right in the heart of it and just screams out the truth. Like a phoenix rising. Southern trees bear strange fruit Blood on leaves and blood at the root Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees The truth. Yeah. How about that for something fresh? The truth for a change. You were making a comment earlier today about uh, Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani. who said recently, the truth is not the truth. And I thought, boy, that really uh, says it, doesn't it? That's where we've come with Mm -hmm. our understanding of what is true and what isn't true. We just deny the truth being the truth. And this song, as with many other cultural artifacts that are authentic to the core are screaming out the truth for people to hear. And this particular song, you cannot deny the truth oh, of it, right. no matter who you are. Yeah. And that's the brilliance of the song and the lyrics mm-hmm. and the power that Billie Holiday and Nina and others brought to it. Yeah, the imagery that results uh, lyrically and musically. Yeah, yeah. It's not just the lyrics, it's also the way it's sung and the way it's composed. It has a very melancholy kind of flavor to it. Yeah, melancholy, bluesy, jazzy, mm-hmm. bluesy, and mm-hmm. it's... Only three verses, mm-hmm. simple in its structure and its rhyming. Mm-hmm. But here is an example of the power of the metaphor yeah. of this strange fruit in the tree representing black bodies hanging. Mm-hmm. When I first heard this song, it was many years ago, it struck me like an atom bomb. It just went, I went, oh my God, the power of that metaphor. And not a lot of metaphors can do that for me, mm-hmm. but some are just so right and perfect. It struck me too, but I have to be honest that I feel a lot more about the subject or about the song now that we've had a little bit of time to delve into it more. Yeah. Because yes, it it struck me even the first time I heard it, but for me it was uh, 1972 when I went to see Lady Sing the Blues. Oh yeah. I was only 19 at the time, but I remember the impact that it had watching it on screen. It was Diana Ross who played Billie Holiday. Yeah. And, um, well, I mean, she was a great singer as well. And she actually did the songs with her voice. Yes. And I do recall the song, but it had nowhere near the impact it would have on me now Mm -hmm. in terms of my relative understanding of it. Because, you know, life experience as well. And you've learned so much more about the politics and the times and what was actually going on. Yeah. And a lot of people, as we kind of move on through time... The names out of the past are less distinctive. So for a lot of people, a lot of young people, Billie Holiday is a who? Who's that? Yeah, it doesn't even exist. It doesn't exist. But Mm -hmm. what she did in her short life, she lived for 44 years. 44 years. Born in 1915 and gone by 1959. Yeah. Married three times. Yes, that's right. Born in poverty. Father leaves her family early, leaves her mother and her. She gets drawn into prostitution as a teenager. Drugs. Into the drug world she grows up and the only thing she has to hang on to is this raw emotional voice 
pastoral scene of the gallant south, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth set of magnolia, sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell of burning flesh. And to play with some of the greatest orchestras, mm-hmm. bands in the world, including Artie Ellen- Shaw, Duke Ellington, uh, Duke Ellington Count Basie. Et- yeah, etc. So in some ways, her life was a very hard one. And in other ways, it was a very fulfilling one, being able to sing with these incredible musicians mm-hmm. and to make a career uh, as she did. And like I said earlier, she's credited, that song is credited with being the beginning of the civil rights movement. Yes, that's right. And so you have Martin Luther King, you have Rosa Parks. I mean, she was the forerunner of a lot of blacks in America who stood up and said, no more. But even that was 16 years after she put this song out. That didn't happen until 1955 in Alabama. But you know what's interesting too, Peter, is we're thinking in the 1930s again. And think about some of the things that happened in the 1930s. Now, obviously, the war, the Second World War, started within six months of her recording that song. A couple of years earlier, at the 1936 Olympics, Jesse Owens Mm -hmm. at the Berlin Olympics, which was Hitler's Olympics, where he took down four gold medals. Mm-hmm. And broke five world records or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. And purportedly, Hitler avoided shaking hands with him, although that's disputed. Disputable, you know? yeah. But still, here was a, a kind of athletic protest, if you think about it, mm-hmm. that really was there for the world to see, just kind of stuffing it into Hitler's craw mm-hmm. right in his hometown, you know, of Berlin. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and here's Billie Holiday a few years later doing the same thing in a way in the world of music, mm-hmm. stuffing it in the craw of white America, of white racist America. We can't paint right. all white America. I mean, racist, you could probably right? say, though, that hers was much more deliberate than Jesse Owens. In terms of what he was actually trying to do, yeah, he was just basically doing his thing and beating them. But I don't think he had a program in mind when he went there to mm. show them up. It may have been behind the people behind him or supporting him, but certainly not Jesse Owens himself. Well, Black America would have been behind Jesse Owens and, right. and would have been thinking, wow, this is great. This, mm. this, shows, this shows Hitler up. This whole idea of the superior race, mm-hmm. the Aryan race is the superior. And here we are, this black American runner trashing them all with his brilliance. Mm-hmm. There's also another side story there that you may or may not know. But yeah. uh, what really got Hitler's uh, or his administration, if you will, what got their ire was that there was a German athlete, mm-hmm. Karl Ludwig Lutz Long the eventual uh, silver medal winner who was expected to beat Jesse Owens in the longstanding broad jump. Oh, yeah. And ended up being his kind of supporter. Wow. uh, Because he missed the jump and apparently this German athlete who he was competing against Mm. went over and calmed him down and said, in your final jump, do this, do that. Mm -hmm. And Jesse Mm -hmm. Owens ended up beating him. But it was a German athlete who went and gave him the tip. Wow. Wow, that's really interesting. There's a Jesse Owens story, a movie that uh, explains all that or shows all that. Here's a fruit for the crows to play. 
flap for the rain together for the wind to set for the sun to rot To drop. The other interesting thing about Abel Mirapol, too, mm. first of all, a lot of people don't know that he was behind the writing of this song. He was the, the poet, if you like, and he wrote the music under the name of Lewis Allen. That was yes, his he changed name. his name. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't know that he and his wife adopted the two sons that were orphaned, the sons of... The Rosenbergs? Yes, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Right. Who were uh, executed, executed for espionage mm-hmm. in the U.S. in the 1950s. Right. So he writes this song that Billie Holiday makes famous out of his compassion for black America. And here he is 20 years later, again, a compassionate act that sees he and his wife adopting those two boys. That's right. One minority understanding another minority. Yeah, and raising them. Uh, And we're only talking about music. What about the other things that were spawned by the song, including a novel? Mm -hmm. Strange Fruit is a 1944 best-selling novel debuted by American author Lillian Smith, as you said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it dealt with the then-forbidden and controversial theme of interracial romance. Oh, okay. The title was originally Jordan is So Chilly with Smith later changing the title to Strange Fruit. Hmm. In her autobiography, Billie Holiday herself said that Smith chose to name the book after her song, Strange Fruit, which was about the lynching and racism against African Americans, although Smith maintained that the book title referred to the damaged and twisted people, both black and white, Mm -hmm. who are the products or results of racist culture. Right. Interesting that protest songs in general, protest art in general, could not exist without mm. something to protest. Exactly. Whether it's racism, Vietnam, four dead in Ohio, civil disobedience, yep. all of those things, Woody Guthrie in the Dust Bowl and poverty, mm-hmm. etc. in America, these things wouldn't exist if it wasn't... You needed the conditions. Yeah, for the conditions that drew artists to speak out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most recent one is a beautiful song recorded by none other than Barbara Streisand in the last couple of months. Yes. She recorded this song, I think it's called You Lie to Me. Yeah, I've listened to Have it a few times. That? Yes. Wow. The actual title is Don't Lie to Me, aimed in part at least at uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. Bill Maher had her on and it was discussed. And that song is really in a lineage of all of these artists protesting right back to Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. I thought that's interesting. And I thought, who else is doing that these days? You don't hear a lot of protest music anymore as compared to the 60s, 70s, etc. Where are the people protesting? Where are the voices that are standing up and saying, here's the truth, folks, listen up. Mm-hmm. Talking about singers. There was British singer Rebecca Ferguson Mm -hmm. actually publicly declined an invitation from President-elect Donald Trump to sing at his inauguration. That's right. Saying that she would perform only if she could sing Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit. And lordy, lordy, what a surprise. (laughs) The Donald said no. No. Yeah. 
But it's interesting. He's that a he, bit of strange fruit himself, let me yeah, tell you. Anyway, yeah, yeah. carry on. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting that here we are, like, oh, what's that, 61 plus 16, so it's 77 years later uh-huh. that a singer actually opts to pull that song. Yeah. to sing at an inauguration. That's right. And Billie Holiday would be 103 years old this year. Mm. But she passed away at 44, too young, very way young, too young. Very young, yeah. uh, If you see any uh, videos of her in her last years of her life, she looks like she's in her late 50s, and she's so kind of emaciated from yeah. a hard, drug-ridden life. And still her voice is strong and poignant, very powerful. I invite everyone to tune into Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. And imagine, too, like I said earlier in the podcast, I mentioned about her courage. Imagine what it would have been like to be in the midst of all that and then come out with a song like this mm-hmm. that's right in your face. Yeah, I mean, that really took a lot of courage. And try to imagine the people listening to that for the first time in mm-hmm. that cafe society, in that club. Mm-hmm. Sitting there, it's dark, a spotlight is on, and Billie Holiday with that voice comes on and sings this song. And you're listening to the lyrics washing over you and you're seeing what she is talking about. Mm-hmm. My God, people would have just exploded inwardly, you'd think. Mm-hmm. So what can we say? It's a transcendent tune because this little segment of ours is called Transcendent Tunes. And this song just came out naturally that we would choose this song because of its power, because of its resonance and its influences and because of what it represents And in part, we've also chosen this song because we think it's relevant to what's happening today. Oh, yeah. I mean, because we're still dealing with racism Mm -hmm. in America, big time. Mm -hmm. It's there. Almost 80 years have passed. Yeah, and people are still singing it. Again, we just like to remind listeners, mm-hmm. we would welcome your input, your comments. Yeah, slam us with your comments. Give us, you know, wallop us. Give us your yays and your nays. Love this, I hate that stuff. Subjects you would like to see us cover. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Send it our way. And in fact, we'll uh, mention your comments if you send them in because uh, we love to hear from you. Well, actually, we can do one step better. They can actually leave a voice message. We can actually edit their voices right into our podcast. Yeah, especially you folks from Montevideo tuning in. Or Germany or Sweden. Yep, absolutely. Uh, International. North Korea. or no, Not North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> Kim Jong-woops. Kim Jong-woops. <laughs> yeah. uh, we got, we've got South Korea. We've got Italy. We've got France, yeah. uh, England, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and many parts of the U.S., those of you in Virginia, Washington, yeah. California. Suggest a tune you think you'd want us to play with. To cover. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Another one bites the dust. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. ciao. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Is a strange and bitter cry.